All right, everybody. It is Thursday, February 11th, 2021, and this is the Five Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Gojay, and today I'm going to walk you through Bellator's big announcement. They're moving behind Showtime, why they made that choice, what it means for the promotion moving forward. A lot to unpack there. We're going to talk about UFC 258. The card has been getting some kind of negative reviews in regards to its strength and, and exciting matchups on the card outside of the main event, especially compared to last weekend's card. I'm going to tell you why it doesn't really matter. There's doesn't matter at all in terms of pay-per-view sales. And lastly, we're going to really hit Paige Van Zandt's bare-knuckle boxing debut. Obviously, didn't go as planned for the promotion. What does it mean? Does it really hurt BKFC that she lost in the fashion that she did? What about her own brand? We'll walk through that as well. Plus a c- couple of other little tidbits if we have time to get to them. But thank you so much for joining me as always. we got timestamps at the bottom and over to the side here. Uh, in case you want to just jump ahead to your favorite topic. But otherwise, with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So if you didn't hear Bellator's big announcement, they, they announced the light heavyweight Grand Prix. Yes, which is probably what is the bigger announcement for most fans. But the initial announcement is that Bellator is going to be broadcast on Showtime exclusively moving forward. Now, that's a big move for the promotion in many ways. Obviously, uh, Bellator had gone from Paramount Network to DAZN and then you know to CBS Sports. Once the Viacom-CBS merger was complete, as I've talked about in other episodes of this podcast, if you haven't checked that out, I recommend you, you rewind a little bit and go to the episode where I break down exactly how the CBS-Viacom merger was going to affect Bellator because really this is played out kind of how I guessed way back in the day. Uh, I always knew that Bellator was going to end up being on either big CBS or behind Showtime. And it, when you think about it, it makes total sense, right? When they made that move initially, there were some reports that came out, I think a week or two after Bellator went to CBS and the Viacom CBS merger happened that Scott Coker was now reporting to Steven Espinoza. Now, some of you know him as the weasel character from the Mayweather-McGregor tour, right? Where McGregor was calling him a weasel, all that fun stuff. But he is the president of Showtime Sports. And that move right there, putting Coker underneath him, even if Coker did maintain control of the promotion, which I believe he did, right? I don't don't think it was Espinosa got in there and really dug around and changed up a bunch of matchups or anything like that. But the fact that in a organizational hierarchy, you put him under Steven Espinosa, you put Bellator under Showtime Sports, it was natural that something was going to happen with Showtime. Whether that was a crossover with Showtime Boxing, which they desperately need, and we'll talk about here in a minute, or it was a special pay-per-view if they had a particularly big event, as we've seen them do you know, Bellator New York and sometimes do these pay-per-views. Well, that probably be behind Showtime. There was always going to be some kind of collaboration here it it was inevitable now it's been revealed right that it's going to be behind the paywall similar to strike force and all of that as well but let's talk about a few things that this means and doesn't mean for the promotion going forward so one what this doesn't mean it's not a death knell this is not strike force i've seen a lot of people saying oh man this is exactly what happened with strike force another promotion that scott coker ran all of a sudden it's behind showtime does this mean eventually it's going to get sold off or die no doesn't mean that is all this this was done 
purely because of the synergistic aspect, right? As Showtime fights to compete in the new world of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus and what the UFC has going on, Showtime is competing with every other streaming service out there. They have a lot of dramas. You know, they've got, they had Shameless. They had, um, what was the other one? I mean, they had Dexter way back in the day, but they, they were always a pay per month network along with HBO. They were kind of HBO's bigger counterpart. When you thought of, you know, the, oh, I've got a normal cable package and then some people have fancy HBO and some people have Showtime. You had stars and a couple other, you know, a couple other ones as well. But those were the really the big two was HBO and Showtime. And so, Whereas HBO Max is a new thing from HBO where they're trying to kind of, you know, get as many rights as they can and make their own streaming service and really compete on that Hulu, Netflix level. Showtime's got to do the same. I mean, cable is dying. It's been dying for years. If you look at any particular channel's numbers over the past decade, they've been decreasing. Even when they have quote unquote good years, overall viewership is declining. People are cutting the cord especially younger people. They just want to pay 12 bucks or 13 bucks or what have you and get Netflix. Or nowadays it's kind of like a weird mishmash cable bundle, which was predicted a long time ago that eventually we were just going to get rid of cable and then get all these streaming services and it would end up being like cable because, oh, I want to watch this Netflix show or I want to watch Hulu and all that. So, you know, that's a that's a whole thing. But Showtime has to compete with this. Bellator gives them a known product arguably the second largest MMA organization. And it's kind of hard to argue when you look at the numbers. I mean, really, it's the UFC. And then Bellator is the only one we know that is pretty profitable based on the information we have. And if you haven't seen that information, I've broken it down in some other videos, a couple articles. John Nash has done a really good breakdown of Bellator finances as part of his finances of all the different promotions. Bellator really is number two. So Grabbing the second largest MMA promotion and adding it to your content library makes sense, especially because you've got Coker already reporting to Steven Espinosa and Showtime Sports and, you know, Viacom and CBS have merged. So why not? Overall, in the grand scheme of things, you've shifted some things around in the lower departments, but they all roll up to Viacom CBS. That's it's not that you've sold it off to a competitor or you've got a licensing deal. Nope, all under the same umbrella. So why not do this? It makes perfect sense. You're going to see some collaborations with Showtime Boxing, I think. I, I I can't imagine at this point they don't do some of the crossovers, especially when you've got Chris Cyborg talking about how she wants to box. And MVP has been boxing and, and been allowed to box throughout his MMA career. Of course, you're going to end up eventually getting some of these you know, MMA fighters versus boxers I would say more likely in the boxing ring than vice versa, but I could see it going both ways. It's going to be a big collaboration between the two because while Bellator has struggled with television ratings, we don't exactly know what their numbers were on zone, and it's it's still nowhere near the UFC, right? And that's fair. No one is near the UFC. The fact that they were as profitable as they were, big deal. I mean, they went from being in the red to I think the last known numbers we have is 80 million in revenue and in plus revenue for the year. That's very solid for an MMA promotion. So, you know, it it's not going bad, but it could use a boost. 
Showtime Boxing, on the other hand, I don't know the specifics of the financials, but from the people I've talked to in the boxing realm that do have more of that insight, Showtime Boxing isn't doing so great. There, there's a couple of big fights. You, you've got some some good events, but it, it's not competing with a lot of the other promotions out there that are signing huge names like Canelo and, uh, you know, similar to what DAZN attempted to do, right? That That type of thing. Showtime hasn't been able to compete on that level. So putting them together might be able to take both of their strengths and kind of make a, a combat sports group, so to speak, that helps all ships rise. Will it work? I don't know. I, I can't give a prediction on that yet until we see what exactly the crossover is going to be. Possible that Espinosa says, you know what? No, we're not going to do crossovers and or Coker objects. And there's, but I, I think we will see that crossover. And when that happens, that will be a big moment because it will be a real test about what synergistic capabilities merging Showtime Boxing and Bellator have. You know, does it truly create one plus one equals X, where you get the synergistic effects? It does better than both standalone shows would have done. Or is it a one plus one equals two where it's just, nope, okay, you would have had this many viewers for Bellator, would have had this many for Showtime. Hey, you got about the same. Or does it actually decrease? Well, I don't really want to watch MMA fighters box, so I'm going to turn it off. Or, oh, I don't care to see boxers in the ring. This is a stupid event. No, thanks. Goes down. All possibilities. We'll have to see what the first event lies, but this isn't the death knell. This is a collaboration, and it's a natural process and, and selection in terms of a company looking to put a combat sports portfolio together. And that's what Viacom CBS is doing. They're trying to say, you know what, let's group everything we have in this big, big giant mega corporation that happened when Viacom merged with CBS. Let's put it all under one umbrella. We may very well keep their brands completely separate. And it's just, oh, cool, I'm watching Showtime Boxing. Or, oh, cool, I'm watching Bellator. Either way, though, you're going to have to pay for Showtime, and that's really the big key. You're going to have to sign up for Showtime for this, and that that's a huge, huge priority for Viacom CBS right now as they struggle to compete with Netflix, Hulu, HBO, all those other guys. So nothing to freak out about. This isn't the end of Bellator. If anything, this kind of just strengthens their financial position because it means that they were enough of a priority to bring into a premium service right obviously someone looked at the numbers and the financials and said yeah we want to put this in the premium catalog so people have to sign up for showtime for this if showtime subscriptions decline right if in the next two years you see a massive decline in showtime subscriptions all of that then you might start being a little worried but they're still a profitable organization they're in the black that that right there means at the worst case scenario, they're going to get sold off to somebody. They'll never completely go away. If it gets sold off to the UFC, that's a whole other story. But I don't foresee that happening. I, I think, if anything, they'd get sold off to another channel or, or spun off to their own company, something along those lines. They're profitable. They're not in trouble. They're not going under in three or four years. Don't worry about that. We'll see what happens. It's a big move, a big move and a smart one by Bellator and and more so by Viacom CBS to try and make this happen. So we'll see where it goes. All right, next thing I want to cover here is the UFC 258 pay-per-view. Now, 
seen a lot of chatter on social media about the strength of this card, right? If you compare it to the Volkov versus Overeem fight night we just went through, a lot of people would say it's weaker overall. You've got a great main event with Gilbert Burns versus Kamaru Usman. Then you've got Macy Barber taking on Alexa Grasso in the co-main, which are notable names, but again, not a title fight, nothing crazy, number one contender bout or anything like that. And then you've had a couple of fights drop out. You, you've had some, you know, Weidman versus Hall was supposed to be on this card, which was going to be a pretty juicy main event just from between two veterans. That's gone. You, you've lost a lot of your your excitement from the original lineup. And a lot of people are saying, yeah, I'm not going to buy it. You know, uh, oh, I'll legally stream it, whatever. And with the pay-per-view price increase, even more people are saying, yeah, this is going to do terrible numbers. They just raised the price for Connor versus Dustin, and now it's even more money to buy a essentially a Gilbert Burns versus Kamaru Usman fight. Nah, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and hit the old seas, sail the high seas, as they say, when it comes to pirating. That's, that's what's been going on. And someone had asked me, what do you think on this? Do you think that this card will do particularly poorly because it is weaker compared to last week's entire card and to a lot of the other cards we've seen? Is it? It's not really a pay-per-view quality card. So could we see a decrease in buys? No, I don't think so at all. And let me explain why. Going back to Paul Giff's fighter MRP study. If you haven't read that or read my piece on that that does a quick overview, I recommend reading the actual study as well, but you can check out the body lock, search fighter MRP, it's right there. Essentially, Paul Gift, who's been you know, a contributor and a huge, huge contributor <laughs> to, to the space of business and economics of MMA, wrote a paper on fighters drawing power. And in that paper, it says, and as I've harped on multiple times, if you watch the show, you know what I'm about to say. The biggest draw and causality for pay-per-view buys ties to the main event. Komen plays a small part into it, but the majority, overwhelming majority of pay-per-view buys and the pay-per-view buy rate, whether it does 700,000, 100,000, what have you, comes down to the main event. And the UFC knows this. And if you notice, right, everybody's been talking about how weak this card is. If you go look on social media, shout out to Cole Shelton who pointed this out, as well as I think our own Drake Riggs pointed this out privately in a, in a Slack conversation. If you go and look at the embeddeds, those numbers are good, right? 800,000 views, I think, for episode one something around those lines. I mean, those are high numbers for a pay-per-view on the embed as compared to some of the other ones we've seen. 256 and 255 were much lower in terms of viewership on those UFC embedded episodes. It, it comes down to this. Jorge Masvidal had gotten the rub. He had those crazy knockouts. He beat Nate Diaz, which is really the thing that put him over the top, made him a huge draw, and then he fought Kamaru Usman. Estimated pay-per-view buys were 1.3 million. I still don't quite buy that number. I think it was probably a little bit lower, but it was still a giant pull from a UFC pay-per-view perspective. My guess is it was in the top eight, 
Easy. Probably even, I don't want to say top five, but somewhere between five and eight is, is or six and eight is, is where Masvidal versus Usman probably drew. That's huge. That's ridiculous. That's something that's not talked a lot about. And everybody was talking about Masvidal, right? At that point, he had been showing up on ESPN uh, doing uh, Highly Questionable and a bunch of other shows. He had just gotten on the cover of UFC 3. I mean, all this stuff going on. And then Masvidal lost. And the hype train, you know, slowly faded away as as Masvidal hasn't fought since then. It's kind of, okay. He, he went off to political stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But the point is, Masvidal was the A-side there. And just like Masvidal took some of Nate's strong power, I think Usman took some of Masvidal's. Right? I mean, if you look before that fight, Usman had a thrilling fight of the year candidate against Colby Covington. And Covington had a lies on him, had a lot of eyes on him based on his relationship, you know, to Trump and everything that they were saying and the bad blood. It was a huge thing. And so when, you know, you beat, <laughs> when you have that type of performance and then you beat a guy who just got a BMF belt from The Rock and finally got, you know, a bunch of casual fans interested in him by beating Nate Diaz. You you end up getting the rub yourself. And I think now we're going to see Usman draw. I don't know how much we're going to see. I'm not going to say that he breaks a million in this one fighting Burns. Um, I don't think he's going to draw more than Izzy, who was pegged last at around 800,000 or so. And again, these numbers are wide estimates, as we've seen with the Connor thing. Is that if you haven't seen that episode, make sure you go check it out. But I mean, Usman is going to draw from now on. I would say he's probably 400K as a base. If he has a fight against somebody that's not a particularly great pull or he's got some very boring fights in a row or something, which we've seen Usman produce sometimes, I think he's still around 400,000, maybe 300,000 over the years type thing. But right now, easy 400,000 pay-per-view by base because he just beat Masvidal. And I think for this fight, he's probably going to realistically pull somewhere between 500 and 600,000. And it doesn't matter who's beneath him because people want to see Usman versus Burns and the casual fan will pay just for that. What many of you forget is that a lot of these people who end up buying this, right? Think about it from, if, if you're a casual boxing watcher, I know some of you are. Think, think about, actually, you know what? Let, let's think about it in the easiest possible terms. Mayweather McGregor. How many of you bought the pay-per-view and then watched any of the undercard, even the co-main. Maybe you checked the co-main because you weren't sure if Mayweather was going to fight McGregor, and, and or when, sorry, if when Mayweather was going to fight McGregor. So you might have watched part of the co-main to make sure, yeah, okay, now I know the main event's starting. But did you seriously watch any of the undercard? What about Canelo Triple G, right? Joshua um, versus Ruiz. How many of you that are like, oh man, that's a big boxing fight. You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and switch over. And then watched the entire thing. Or even just the co-main and or a couple fights before. No. You probably, you probably, if you're like me, because I did this, and I know a lot of my more hardcore MMA friends that 
watched some of the boxing fights did this, you probably tuned in for the main event. Although I think I actually did watch more of the card because I was having like a watch party thing. But still, point is, this happens all the time. And the same thing is true for MMA. If you're a casual MMA fan, sometimes you buy the pay-per-view just to watch the main or co-main. And you do not care about anything else on the card. And that's the key. The hardcores will always be there because we buy anything. We will buy straight trash. We've complained about some of the cards we've bought, right? What was it? Nunez uh, Pennington? I think the rest of that card was pretty bad, if I remember correctly. There have been some stinkers of cards. Just some awful, awful cards that we've paid for and we've complained and said, man, this card sucks. This is technically one of them. 258 is one of them. Yeah, we got Burns versus Usman, but anything, everything else, we're like, man, I'm paying pay-per-view price for the rest of this. And I'm sure a fair amount of the hardcore fans here will opt to illegally stream or opt out and you know, catch highlights and say, yeah, now it's cool. I'm not really a fan of Usman or Burns. I'm, I'm good. I'm sure that'll happen. But there will still be a hardcore contingency that watches every UFC pay-per-view that will begrudgingly buy this. And then more importantly, the casual fans that Usman can draw, they're the ones that are going to be like, yeah, I don't really care or know about anyone else. Macy Barber, okay, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll watch the co-main. Who? Wait, who's this Jim Miller? That sounds familiar, but I don't really, I don't know. No, I'll, I'll just tune in, you know, around the main event time. Because that's the way they look at it. And the UFC knows this. And this has been proven. <laughs> this has been statistically proven by a professor of economics. This isn't just me rambling and saying, yeah, that's how it is. No, this is somebody, Paul Gift. <laughs> you can thank him for doing the math to to calculate all this out and be like oh okay yeah this is true it's really all about the main event co-main sometimes pulls them in but really all about the main event so it doesn't matter that the card is is not what we would consider a normal pay-per-view quality it, it doesn't matter at all it's still gonna pull i think i'm gonna estimate 500k here and some of you are gonna be shocked and be like how because like, everything i just explained so let me know in the comments if you agree or disagree with that prediction. I'd love to hear your feedback on that and make sure if it does hit 500K or so, make sure to tell brag to everybody, yeah, I knew it was, and then explain everything I just explained because you'll look really smart. So there you go. All right, next thing we're going to talk about is Paige Van Zandt's BKFC debut. Obviously did not go according to plan. If you didn't see Dave Feldman's face, whoo. He was not a happy camper. He looked very much like Dana did when Connor got knocked out. Not what you want to see as a promoter. But the big question is, does it hurt BKFC's brand? You had this big signing page. You really put a lot of your marketing and a lot of your eggs in the Paige Van Zandt basket. And she went out there and lost to Britain Hart. <laughs> who I think is now, it's either a one and two or one and one boxer. Someone that PVZ should have honestly been able to, you know, beat. It was set up as a very favorable matchup for Paige and things didn't, things didn't go well. Does BKFC's brand get incredibly hurt by this? No, at least not yet. It is a blow. 
right? There's no denying this is not what the promotion wanted, but it's not the end of the world for the company. And here's why. When you have a situation like this, where you've really tried to pump up a big star and then they fall flat on their face. We've had rare instances of this, right? We had uh, Kimbo in Elite X, XE, right? That that was probably the best example where really Kimbo was the star of that promotion. He got knocked out and it, you know, kind of, but they had their other troubles as well. But BKFC has built themselves around one being just completely different because they're bare knuckle, right? That's a huge selling point of this is, you know, they are a unique type of promotion. They are offering unique entertainment. So even if you didn't have the big stars, it's still, you've got that niche, which is a big deal. As, As someone doing a podcast in a niche, it really helps to have a specific niche so that even if things don't go well, uh, you've got that differentiation, right? So they still got that going for them. They also have, again, former names of of different sports, whether that's been UFC or uh, boxing that have, have made their way into the ring and have done well. Chris Levin, you know, obviously did very well and has made a name for himself in BKFC. That carries a lot of of weight you've got several ufc you know vets you had artem lobov versus poly mangi uh mangiani now you know yeah just just rag on me in the comments i will i will say his name a thousand times i'm trying to get better names i really am i just suck at it so much (laughs) but but you have other names is my point you're not solely on the page van zandt train this wasn't a, oh man, like we really went all out signing PVZ and uh, we had no one else. No. It also, right, gives the promotion an opportunity to take stock of their deal with Paige and really refocus, maybe get her to train under certain things, market her as a, you You can market this as a, oh, I transitioned to a new sport and it was harder than I thought it, or didn't quite make that jump cleanly. It's not all done because of this one loss. It hurts for the hardcores, but for the casuals, which is something we really like to talk about on today's episode, for the casuals, that's not the case. I would bet money that most casual fans that tuned in for Paige, which there are a fair amount, right? She did garner a, a following due to Dancing with the Stars. She's got her Instagram. She's She's got casual fans that probably aren't tuning into BKFC unless she's fighting. They, again, probably don't know exactly how good Britain Hart is. If they do a little bit of research, they find that it might be, oh, okay. But I bet most of them, We'll come back for fight number two. I think she gets one more fight before, you know, BKFC takes the rap for this in terms of being like, oof, we we botched it and PVZ can't sell anything for us. I truly think that because that's how casual fans work, right? If you get enough of a following, it doesn't just all go away because of one loss. In something like the Kimbo situation, it 
10. But even then, look, Kimbo still drew very big beyond that loss. The promotion had trouble because they put literally all of their eggs in the Kimbo basket. And when he turned out not to be as good as people thought he would be, that sank the promotion. That's not what Dave Feldman has done here. He has shored up other divisions. He has exciting fights, right, that we've seen. We, we've, we've seen Lobov versus Knight where it's just bloody and just all of it. He, he has other things that help hold up the promotion even though this failed. And that's what you need to do if you're going to bring somebody over like this. If you hype somebody up, you have a big prospect, and really, it's, I'm saying prospect because it's technically a new sport for Paige. So, you know, prospect, name, whatever you want to call it. When you do that, if you don't have anything else around it, then you're literally rolling the dice where if they lose for whatever reason, you're screwed. But when you've done what Feldman's done, building up these other divisions, making sure that there's much more to the sport than just her name. Yeah, it sucks that she lost, but you still have plenty of other people to hang your hat on. And because of that, because the promotion survives, just like if Elite XE had survived beyond Kimbo, they had other stars then I'm sure had Kimbo come back to fight after that loss, I believe people would have tuned in again. Maybe not as many. Maybe the personal brand takes a hit. I think that's really what has happened in this situation, right? Um, you know, Paige said she was making 10 times as much as she did in the UFC over at BKFC. I don't believe Feldman gave her that as a base. I would imagine that included sponsorships that she wasn't able to get because of the Reebok deal, things of that nature, right? I think that's a huge part of Paige's comments when she said she made that much more money. I, I really don't think it's Feldman offered her what would, the equivalent would be something like 400 grand to fight BKFC. I can't imagine that happened. I think she probably got maybe 80, maybe 100 grand as a base, which is still a lot, but really sponsorships must have made up some of them. At, le at least that's my big guess. I could be wrong there. I'm not going to say that's definitive, but from everything I know about salaries and from, you know, talking with people in the industry, I, I can't imagine it was 400 grand base, but who knows? Feldman, Feldman is a crazy guy. It's possible. It is possible. But that aside, I think if you're the promotion, you could even renegotiate that contract if you've gone too high a base at this point. I think Paige's brand is the one that gets hurt. And another example of this, maybe a more concrete example of this, is SiriusXM had started January, I believe January 20th, so it's less than a month, had started a show that Paige led called Knuckle Up, talking about Barry Knuckle stuff, had Chael Sonnen on, I believe the initial episode, all this stuff. And... This week, final episode, didn't even make it a full month. Is that because of the loss? Eh, maybe. I don't think so. My guess is, is it's, well, let me, let me rephrase. I think the loss helped kill it. My guess is the ratings weren't exceptional uh, as they were. I think SiriusXM was hoping, you know, Paige gets a big knockout win or a really dominant victory, and then they can use that and pour more money into it to kind of build that audience. But I think her losing was kind of the, oh, okay, that's it. Yeah, we're, we're 
that that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You've lost to a, a, a boxer who rambled about being a feeling and who uh, doesn't have a winning record. Yeah, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. That has significance. Because I really think if she had gone out and dominated, especially gotten a knockout, something of that nature, Sirius XM doesn't cancel that show, regardless of what the ratings were doing. They obviously must have been pretty bad, but I think she goes out there and, and makes a statement. I think they invest in her a little bit more and keep it going. But, you know, she didn't. She lost. And I think then they went ahead and just chopped her from, from Sirius XM. That's, that's a red flag right there if you're Paige Van Zandt for your brand because those those followers that know your martial arts background that know combat sports that tuned in yes because you're Paige and you're a girl and you're pretty and all this other stuff cool but then know that you lost to that boxer I think that says a lot I think it really says a lot so I think BKFC can you know, pour the right investment dollars in here to make sure she gets a similar type of opponent, maybe even easier if they can find one. Really make sure she trains hard, really kind of hold her hand, so to speak, to go through this next fight. And I think you get another fight out of her. And then if she comes out with a knockout or she comes out with a dominant win, that kind of erases what just happened, at least to the casual audience that doesn't know much about combat sports or knows a little bit, but really is only f- following their favorite fighters, which in this case would be PVZ. Bare knuckle crowd would probably forgive you too, right? If you went out and you, you made a statement and then in your post-fight interview you said like, yeah, transition just had issues with my camp, things didn't go right, but I'm back, I'm here. I guarantee you fans will, will get behind that. Paige has the charisma. She has the look. She obviously warranted enough of investment from, from the promotion to get this far where she's getting paid a lot. I mean, I, I can't imagine that this loss seals her fate forever. I think there's still one last shot. She loses her next fight, though. I think then as, as a promotion, you've got to cut ties or just kind of like stop investing in her, make her you know, either fight her, fight more people and, and kind of prove herself on her own if you want to take that risk. But I, you could cut her after two fights in that case if, if she loses to another fighter like Hart. But right now, the promotion needs to make a decision on whether or not they want to gamble on that. Because her first fight was always going to have more viewers, all of that this time around. She lost. Do you gamble and invest in her now and turn this around? Or do you just cut ties? I'm betting they're going to invest in her, really pump pump it up as a, yeah, that was a tough transition, bad camp, whatever. Excuses will be made for that performance. And instead, you know, really say, oh, okay. No, it, that was a one-off. She's still here. We'll see. A couple of other things I want to hit here before we wrap up. There's a graphic that is circulating the rounds. Uh, I believe it was posted on Reddit and I've seen it on some other Twitter posts. Um, I believe I've also seen it on Instagram. It's not in your face, but it's definitely making the rounds. And this is a social media engagement metric year over year that was touted by Formula One because year over year they had nearly a 100% increase 
um, across both Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. I'm in terms of the actual data itself, it doesn't give a direct source of where it pulls that metric year over year and what it means in terms of engagement, whether that's comments, whether that's likes, retweets, uh, shares, you know, what all that encompasses. It doesn't have, at least I couldn't find it in my initial search. I didn't dig super deep in this, um, but I'll, I'll go back and give it a look in case I'm missing it. But I didn't see it a, a source, but I do trust Formula One to use something that is legit in terms of touting their numbers because why else do this if it could be debunked to be like oh that's actually a crap statistic but it showed formula one as number one and then number three was the ufc at 48 percent increase year over year this isn't surprising ufc social media has grown a lot over the past several years they've really poured money into it they've really gone all out trying to boost those numbers uh if you have the you know if you saw the dana white video that has been taken down and is now renamed something else i think it's a tribute to dana white or something that that talks about the media and all that whole thing uh which we've done a video on which is yeah i'm sure you saw it where it was just called everybody out for the coronavirus stuff they talk about the social media metrics briefly in there but this does not mean that the UFC is penetrating new markets necessarily. It could mean that. It is an important factor into that, right? Where if your brand is getting a 48% increase year over year in terms of your engagement, whether that is just, even if it's just comments or shares, or what have you, that's a good sign. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're penetrating a bunch of new markets. The fact that they were the first sport back is huge for them. I think Dana's move to do that is massive because you had that first pay-per-view, right? Gagey Ferguson, where no other major sports were on. And that naturally drew casual viewers because we didn't have sports for a month or so. And it was like, wow, what are we going to watch? Well, here's this pay-per-view. Here's some semblance of normalcy. Yes, let's go for it. And that pegged at 800K is what the estimate was, something like that. Can't fully trust it again, but let's say it's in that range. That makes sense. Gagey and Ferguson have never been huge draws, mind you. As I've mentioned in, in the past, Ferguson, the one time he headlined a pay-per-view, didn't do so well, the one time before that was. Uh, and Gagey consistently put up pretty bad numbers for his ESPN main events, despite how exciting he is. His viewership was not the best. So I think a huge boost of that was through the pandemic. And I think a lot of their social media engagement metrics probably come through the pandemic. They were one of the first sports back that had consistent shows as well. Yes, viewership was up. They had a very profitable year, the UFC did in 2020. But this doesn't mean, oh, they are, you know, just expanding to crazy amounts. Right. I've seen some people say, wow, they're they're three behind Formula One. Holy crap. Like this, this means they're blowing up and getting even bigger and bigger. To an extent, yes, but we really need to see this year's metrics when we've had an NBA season, when we've had, you know, baseball's coming back, when we've had football. Like, let's see what the metrics look like in the end of 2020 through 2021. Because 2021 will really show, did they, you know, keep that type of engagement? 
was it even just break even right at zero percent because then that means they kept those 48 percent engagement metrics compared to the previous year okay my guess is they will have some success there i do believe they will have growth but it this is not a wow like ufc's got its second wave i've seen a lot of people say yes this is the second wave of popularity for mma ufc these metrics are proving it. no no this is a weird metric based on a crazy once in a lifetime hopefully type year right so don't hang your hat on wow 48% engagement social media they're booming things are going to the moon all that stuff you want to use the the GameStop AMC slang pump the brakes pump the brakes a little bit let's see how 2021 goes that will be important this was a very strange year and it it will be an outlier for many reasons in many ways is this an outlier is this actual growth we really don't know yet we got to wait for 2021's data lastly UFC talking about Poirier versus McGregor three. That's the way management wants to go. I think this report that's out there saying that UFC management wants to make that fight is exactly what I've been saying in terms of what makes sense business-wise. If you have Connor fight anyone else and he loses, that trilogy with Poirier is trilogy. Trilogy with Poirier is gone, pretty much off the table. As long as Poirier continues to win if Poirier loses a couple well okay then you can go ahead and make it but otherwise that that trilogy is gone and even if Poirier lost a couple and McGregor lost a couple and then you match them up which is what they'll end up doing with Diaz McGregor three right that'll still do well but you're really missing out on the peak if Poirier loses a couple or Connor loses at all because then it's kind of, okay, Connor's kind of washed up. So, yeah, you'll still get buys, but it, his ceiling will continually go down, which means that the buys will go down. And if Poirier loses, well, then maybe he was a fluke because he's not going to get that same rub that Diaz did, as I explained an episode ago. I, and I apologize. I know I've been talking about a lot of previous episodes in this one. I promise I won't make that a regular thing. <laughs> but it just happens to correlate today, you know? Uh, so... Yeah, I think I, I think it makes sense. And I know people are upset, but is what it is. If they put a title on it, ugh, I, I understand the frustration there. I don't think they will, though. That is my guess. Just like I guess that they, they were going to pursue this matchup because of the potential pay-per-view buys and the peak popularity of Poirier right now. I also think they won't put a belt on it because you don't need it. It sells without a belt. Instead, put the belt on Chandler versus Oliveira or Gaethje versus Oliveira who, or Gaethje versus Chandler or whoever, right? In that mix, the lightweight's crazy stacked. You can find a great matchup for a vacant lightweight title that everybody will be okay with. Even if hardcore fans are like, well, that doesn't really make sense. Well, yeah, okay. But the, I mean, come on. Right there, there are ways to look at this merocratically to get a lightweight belt on the line that doesn't involve Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, and that would still be arguably okay. Put Oliveira in the mix; he clearly deserves it based on the eight-five win streak. 
And then Poirier did knock out McGregor. But before that, he beat Hooker in a, a decision that was a war, but a great fight. But before that, he lost to beat. So the promotion, I'm not saying this is correct, but the promotion can argue, oh, well, no, Poirier wanted to do the McGregor trilogy, and he's only really beaten two people. Dan Hooker, who we just saw, got starched by Michael Chandler, so they can throw him under the bus, say, ah, oh, yeah, he's good, but he's, you know. And then McGregor, who doesn't have a win at lightweight since 2016, and they can spout that all day. Well, you know, he hasn't really been back fighting in lightweight. He's been fighting more at welterweight. They can spin that. There are ways to spin this. And the fact that they tried to do a short notice booking between Oliveira and Chandler at UFC 258 tells you that they're not trying to do Poirier versus Chandler. They're trying to do Poirier versus McGregor, all of that. And my guess is in an ideal situation, they're going to hold off on having any lightweight title fight. They'll keep teasing Habib, even though Habib said, you know, yeah, I've had this conversation with Dana and I think Poirier should be champ and I want, I, I won't hold up the division, right? I'm sure he made his intentions clear. But if Dana drags this out and the UFC drags this out in terms of like, well, you know, we're still in talks. We really don't know if he shows them something. Who knows? What that really does is buy them time because then you can do Chandler versus Oliveira or Gaethje or whatever mix there. And then you can do McGregor versus Poirier, not for the belt. And then you have the winners fight for the belt, which is really what the promotion wants. Because, as I mentioned before, I really don't think Poirier got pay-per-view points for the last McGregor fight. They would probably have to give him pay-per-view points for this one if they didn't put the belt on the line. But, I mean, I really think that that could benefit the promotion. And I really think they can pull it off. So... We'll see. We'll see if they put the title on the line against McGregor Poirier 3 if they get that deal done. Hopefully not. I'm with you guys. I really hope that doesn't happen. I don't think it will, though. I, I wouldn't get panicky about that yet because it doesn't make business sense. Why put the title on the line when you can when you can wait, right? Although it could be argued, I will say, now that I'm thinking this through, it could be argued that you put the title on the line so that Poirier can have the pay-per-view points in case he wins. And if McGregor wins, well, huh, there you go. McGregor's got the belt. That's a dream scenario for, for the UFC. But even then, I, I don't think that's what they're angling for. Because if McGregor just lost to Poirier and then he comes back and wins and, and wins the title, that's going to really ruffle the wrong feather. So my guess is you get Poirier McGregor 3 and... Oliveira, Chandler, Gaethje, Ferguson probably mixed. Some, something's going on over there. No belts at all. My guess is we see the first lightweight belt probably towards the end of the year. That would be my guess. All right, well, with that in mind, guys, if you haven't already, make sure you hit the like button if you like this content. Subscribe to our channel if you haven't want to see more stuff like this or the other videos we do. Hit the notification button, the bell. So you know when we're dropping new videos. I'm going to be honest with you from a business perspective. For whatever reason, YouTube loves the little bell notification. So if you can do that for us, even if you're going to ignore some of the videos, which I don't encourage you to do. I do not encourage it. But if you could hit that bell anyway, we would appreciate it. We are so close to 1,000 subscribers. So if you haven't subscribed yet on YouTube and you're watching this 
on that platform, please do. It means the world to us. We're almost there. We're going to have a big 1000 milestone celebration video, all that stuff. And also get involved. If drop comments on anything I've covered over the course of this podcast, let me know how you feel about Bellator going behind Showtime, my analysis on PVZ and the UFC pay-per-view strength, right? For 258. Do you think my, my guess is wrong? What have you, anything I've covered in this episode, definitely hit me up. If you have questions, if you want me to cover a particular topic or you want me to do a particular interview, I am working on interviews. I know I keep saying that things keep getting shifted around for whatever reason, but we will have interviews eventually back on the podcast. But let me know who you want to see, right? There are so many people in the business and so many areas of the business that aren't covered. I'd love to hear what you guys want to know more about because that's what I'm here for. I will set that up. I will make that happen. So definitely hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, via these YouTube comments and let me know what you want me to cover, who you want me to talk to. And also, I believe Producer Jake's going to be able to throw up our Discord server. Come join us there. We are doing videos based on content that you guys suggest, whether that's on Twitter or on our Discord. I mean, that's, or, or where have you, YouTube any place, not just limited to those two places, but, but come join us in discord. We hang out, we chat, you get to know us a little bit better. You know, you get to bounce ideas off us or will it bounce ideas off you. You do predictions with us. It's a whole thing. So, so definitely hit that up. And if you're listening on anchor, Spotify, Apple podcast, you know, the deal, any service I've missed, make sure to call me out as well. But any, any just audio listeners out there again, I always thank you as well. I really appreciate you supporting this in any form. I love what this has grown into, and we're just doing bigger things. So until next time, get that money. Get that money. Mm-hmm.